This is a podcast from the October 15, 2007 Faculty Summit on Intercollegiate Athletics, hosted by the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. This podcast is from the morning session relating to faculty governance roles. This podcast runs approximately one hour and 15 minutes. For more information, please visit the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics at www.knightcommission.org. Faculty Governance Roles, a closer look at issues surrounding current faculty governance structures, including faculty athletics representatives, athletics governance boards, and faculty senates, and how they affect academic oversight and other areas of concern to faculty such as allocation of financial resources, scheduling games, and the size and scope of the athletic program. Questions to be answered are the following. What's missing in our current governance structures? What should be done to improve the way intercollegiate athletics is governed in our institutions? Who should be responsible for doing what? My name is Carol Cartwright. I'm a member of the Knight Commission and uh, President Emeritus of Kent State University where I served for 15 and a half years. I also have experience at Penn State and at the University of California at Davis. Let me introduce the panelists and then I'll make just a comment or two that will frame the issues for us. Immediately next to me is Joe Petuto, who is Richard H. Larson Professor of Constitutional Law at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. She is the faculty athletics representative at the University of Nebraska and the president-elect of the Division 1A Faculty Athletics Representatives Group. Uh, she serves as chair of the NCAA Division I Committee on Infractions and has also been on the Management Council and the Men's uh, Gymnastics Committee. And she's engaged at the university with the university's advisory committee on intercollegiate athletics, which is a function of the Faculty Senate, linked to the Faculty Senate. Uh, immediately next to Joe is Susanna Reinhardt, who is Associate Professor of Theater Arts and Assistant Provost for Liberal Education and University Studies at Virginia Tech. She's the past president and a current member of Virginia Tech's Faculty Senate, so she'll bring us a very strong Faculty Senate perspective. She's also a founding member of Virginia Tech's Commission on Equal Opportunity and Diversity. And before her time at Virginia Tech, she was at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Immediately next to Susanna is Gary Roberts, who is Dean of the Indiana University Indianapolis School of Law. Before coming to IU in 2007, he was a faculty member at the law school at Tulane for 24 years and directed the sports law program and also served as Vice Dean for Academic Affairs and Deputy Dean. He too has been a faculty athletics representative serving for 16 years during his time at Tulane. And then you've already met our final panelist. Uh, she's doing double duty here this morning for us. Virginia Shepard, 
uh, as you heard earlier, is professor of pathology at Vanderbilt University and co-chair of the Coalition on Intercollegiate Athletics, a very distinguished faculty member and also a very strong leader in faculty governance, uh, having started uh, the COYA organization as a part of faculty senate activity and bridge building around the country. We've been asked to take a closer look at the issues surrounding faculty governance structures, uh, including the role of the faculty athletics representative, athletics advisory boards and governance boards, and of course faculty senates. The questions that were posed for our panelists in preparing for this session today are as follows. What's missing in our current governance structures? What should be done to improve the way intercollegiate athletics is governed in our institutions? And who should be responsible for doing what? The panelists had time to think about that in advance of arriving here for the meeting today. But based on the very rich two-hour meeting that we've all just come from, I expect that they may want to diverge a bit and take the responses to some of these questions in a slightly different direction. And of course, after each of them has about five minutes to share thoughts, we will open it up to you. I should say that everyone here is a, a fan of college sports, and uh, one among us, I will leave you to figure that out, played sports in college. I did not play in the post. You could probably figure <laughs> that out. But we'll begin with Joe. Thank you, Carol. Uh, with a name that begins with P in the middle of the alphabet, I can usually hide myself on any panel, either in the middle or towards the end, and how it is that this particular group is situated alphabetically so I'm going first is dismaying to me, but <laughs> I'm going to have to plow on. Uh, the, uh, the, the panel this morning, I thought, was raised so many different issues in so many different areas uh, that it's, it's, it's almost impossible even to focus. And there were a number of issues that I would have liked to discuss in, in more particulars with regard to comments that were made. But I am going to try to stay at a, um, if not a bird's eye view, at least a more general level than to delve into some of the specific comments and um, and questions that were raised. Uh, I thought the list that the survey showed of faculty interests in governance, and I think there were at least two people this morning who made the comment that it's not at all unusual. We as faculty come to universities because we want to teach, we want to interact with students, we want to do research, we want to do scholarship. We tend to act independently. Uh, we tend to focus on our own work. That's our priority. We are interested in other things that go on in campus. The more directly that they impinge on, uh, on our ability and freedom to do scholarship and research, the more directly that they have an effect on our ability to interact with students and their social and ethical and moral and academic uh, welfare and, and advancement. Uh, we are skeptics by nature and by uh, tradition. Uh, I, my, my background is law, and we're trained to try to hear every perspective and every position on a subject before we come to a conclusion. 
Uh, scientists are trained to test every hypothesis and not to simply accept one. Uh, in the humanities, uh, professors are trained to look critically at language. Uh, and so our training is, I think, more uh, attuned to being critics of what is going on than being directly involved. Our interest and our reason for be at, being at the university is not to govern the university, but to do our own thing. Um, those two things together, when we're looking at, um, at uh, what the role of the faculty can and should be, are, I don't know that they're insurmountable obstacles, but they're certainly large impediments to expecting fa active faculty continuing involvement. Uh, I think it's easy for faculty when posed the question, would you involve yourself if the opportunity was made available, to say yes when they don't have to look at a zero-sum time world and figure out what they're going to give up to do it. Uh, I think it's when there is a crisis on a campus, we do come alive because then it affects what is integral and central to what we want to be doing. Uh, but if you take the crisis out, and I react a little skeptically to the willingness of faculty to spend a lot of the time that, that would have to be traded for something else, and if you at least look, with, look at that with a little skepti skepticism, then I think uh, the faculty role, while it is, it is significant and it's important and uh, it should be encouraged, I don't know and, uh, that we are going to change the culture substantially, and I am sure we're not going to change the culture substantially in a short period of time. I do think that there are some things that are either being done on some campuses now or are attainable. Uh, one of them is intercollegiate athletics committees that are the uh, offshoots and appointed by academic senates. A smaller group uh, is more likely to be one people by individuals who have the time and interest and are going to devote the time and interest to do the job. Um, uh, I don't want to, well, I guess I do want to tout our campus a little. We have an active intercollegiate athletics committee that does a lot of the things that were talked about this morning. Um, I, our, our intercollegiate athletics committee, for example, takes a, a project with regard to student-athlete academic services in athletics every year and does an audit of a particular aspect. Uh, and we take ideas about what to look at from faculty and others, or if we hear a complaint on campus, and that's likely to be the area that we look at the next year. Uh, we get a budget report every year. Uh, if there's an issue that we think we need more information on, we ask the athletics department about it and they provide us the information. I think it's in the best interests of athletics departments and university administrators to do that because when a crisis hits, they need the support of the faculty to get through it and you don't get the support of the faculty by asking them in after the crisis is there when you haven't involved them along the way. So I think I at least in our place, they're very receptive to that sort of participation. Uh, I'm the faculty athletics representative at uh, Nebraska, and often we're sort of the stealth bomber on campus. Um, many people don't know who we, what we are, and no one knows uh, specifically what we do, and part of the reason, or at least some of what we do, part of the reason for that is student privacy issues, 
uh, faculty prerogatives in the classroom, if I have to go to a faculty member and say there's been a grade change in a class, it has had an effect on student athlete eligibility, and I need to inquire about this, I don't want that broadcast over the campus. I don't think anybody else does either. Uh, and yet, I have to do it to do my job as oversight outside athletics. But so there are a lot of things that I think faculty may be doing now that those who are not actively involved in those roles may not know a lot about. And part of it is simply that other faculty may not have the time or interest to ask. But part of it is some of what we do, we really are doing behind the scenes and rightfully doing behind the scenes. Um, I think, am I up? Okay, my five minutes are up and I, I'm you a can, good, you can have my no, 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 I'm a good soldier, so I'm stopping. <laughs> we'll go back to some of those points, I'm sure, Joe. Thank you. Susanna? Um, I share the, the sense of overwhelm at trying to um, focus the conversation in one, in one particular area, but I'll try to do the same thing. I do think it was an incredibly rich discussion and, and, uh, this morning and, and will continue to be, and I think one of the reasons that this is so challenging and perhaps uh, the reasons that we don't talk about some of these issues as much as we would is precisely because they are so incredibly multi-layered and complex. I think that my own um, interest in uh, our students who are also athletes, or our athletes who are also students, is simply, uh, it's very simple, came from teaching them. Came from first at UNC Chapel Hill and now at Virginia Tech teaching a large number of student athletes every single semester since I've been a faculty member. And that only increased, obviously, as I got into being uh, president of the faculty senate and so on. Um, but that's the bottom line for me. These are our students. Um, and I have seen the way in which I think uh, coming into classrooms for them at times feels like entering another planet. Um, they, they have their familiarity and, and clarity about what it is they do as athletes. Um, and then somehow, uh, for reasons that I think we need to explore, feel really like aliens in the classroom, many of them. Not all, but certainly some, and those are the ones I've been most concerned about. Um, I do also, I think, because of my discipline, have a particular insight. I'm a theater teacher, and one of the things that uh, I have thought about for years and years and years um, that it largely goes unnoticed is the fact that uh, theater students have a very, very parallel experience to athletes. They are typically engaged in 20, 30 hours a week of intense engagement with a rehearsal and performance process that is not academic credit bearing, is at the center of their identity and dreams and hopes and wishes for their future, and they have to balance that. They also have a very similar relationship educationally to that experience as athletes do to practice. In fact, when I teach theater to my large 500-person classes, one of the first things I do is say, name some parallels between theater and athletics. And the students can come up with hundreds of them. There are, you know, the director, the coach, et cetera, et cetera. But there are other students on our campus who experience a similar kind of divide. They're just not quite as high profile. But some of them end up wanting, you know, they end up stars in movies, and it's the same chances of success that the one or two or three people who are majoring in theater who are really going to make it big and win that Academy Award are about the same number, uh, perhaps, as those athletes. So I have felt a lot of compassion for my student athletes there as well. Um, as the role of governance, I think that uh, 
when I first became uh, president of the Faculty Senate, one of the first inputs I got was, what we need to do is change the governance structure. They wanted that to be my mission as Faculty Senate president, was to change the, fac the governance um, structure at Virginia Tech, that faculty didn't have a significant enough role in the governance structure as a whole. And my response to that, I think, bears on this conversation, which is I'll talk about changing the governance structure after we as faculty make use of the governance structure as it currently exists. On paper, at least at Virginia Tech, faculty play a significant role in some of these issues. They are on the athletics committee. They are part of the special admissions conversations. They do have a faculty senate. They have places where they can give voice to these concerns. What is very challenging, however, is that faculty are overwhelmed, increasingly overwhelmed. So this whole notion of priorities um, is tricky in that how do we convey to faculty that this is important and that they can make a difference? Um, I think that, that that sort of list of priorities is significant. I'm not sure if that accurately reflects what, what faculty passions are so much as what they see as what they have to pay attention to. Um, so the question as to what kinds of strategies can we come up with, I really do think that the message of the uh, survey, survey is incredibly important in one way, which is that clearly faculty have lots and lots of strong uh, views about uh, intercollegiate athletics and not a lot of understanding or knowledge about how they work. So I would start very strongly from saying that this kind of proactive um, self-education and institutional education about some of these things, you know, take a look at the survey. What are the things that 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 percent of the people said, I don't know, and let's figure out a way that we can share that information. Part of the reason it isn't shared, I think, is that the divide, uh, the mistrust and the divide just increases the uh, sort of in the, the way in which people then sort of back off of sharing information. So if there is a fundamental mistrust that things are happening the way they're supposed to happen and if faculty have a sense of mistrust about that, then when, yes, we also have at least once a year our athletic director come to the faculty senate and make a presentation, but it's very much like what you just described, which is it's canned and it's all the best. There's very little interaction after the fact and it is largely from a defensive posture. It's largely from what can I not disclose or not get into or so on and so forth. Whereas on the ground, I think those, um, I have very good interactions with our student athlete um, uh, advising. And yet there again, it is very segregated. This comment that was made in the, in the general session, of how can we talk about integration? Because I do think there are race issues here. There's no question. How can we talk about um, integration when there's so much segregation of the services. So I think integration and education um, on the campus and then transparency. Um, but I do think it's in the larger context. I got the tap, but I'm just going to finish this thought. I do think it's in the larger context of faculty members in general um, not necessarily feeling like they, ha they know where is the most important place to put their attention. And arguably, I think if given a choice, if serving the success of their students were something that they could choose and get reward for, they might do it. Thank you. Susanna, you raised a really interesting point, and I hope we'll come back to it in the, in the comment you made about 
changing faculty governance, and you said, I'll, I'll think about changing it when we can demonstrate that we use what we already have. And there's a lot of national literature that suggests faculty are not inclined to be very engaged in governance and very interested in what happens uh, in faculty senates uh, across the nation. So we might try to overlay that idea with the engagement in intercollegiate athletics mm -hmm. as well as we go forward. But thank you for raising it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gary, it's over to you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I've been involved in intercollegiate athletics for almost a quarter of a century, and based on that, I could probably sit here and talk for hours, or I could talk for 30 seconds, and I'm not sure either one would be very enlightening, but um, I'll try and, and just make a few random points, and then maybe we can talk more uh, as we go along. What strikes me, and, and when I come to sessions like this, what I always am hoping for is that at the end of the day, there will have been something come out of it that is of value to somebody. Uh, and, and as I'm sitting there listening this morning to the larger session, um, a lot of people made some very good points, um, but I'm sitting there thinking that when we all leave at 3 o'clock this afternoon, so what? Um, what do we take with us that's going to be of any value or that we can, we can apply? And I'm not sure that there's going to be much like that. And, and the reason is because one of the complexities of intercollegiate athletics and why this is such a, an intractable issue is because we are dealing with such a range of institutions uh, to try and generalize what the faculty should do at Gonzaga as opposed to what they should do at LSU is ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're just completely different environments, completely different cultures, completely different uh, sets of circumstances. The traditions are different. Uh, the makeup of the student bodies are different, the size of the student bodies, the selectivity of the student bodies, their place in the, in the athletic pecking order, the amount of revenues they have to work with, uh, the uh, financial circumstances of the universities, uh, the attitudes of, of the key people. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. These, these institutions are so different, and, and yet when we come together in, in events like this, we try to generalize. And I think generalization is, is inherently not going to be very, very productive. Um, secondly, we also have the complexity of the fact that we're dealing with a, a wide variety of different sports. Uh, to talk about uh, the culture of, of swimming and tennis and golf and compare it to the culture of basketball and football is preposterous. I mean, I think even at, even at, L, at LSU, which I'm pretty familiar with, uh, the tennis team and the golf team really do have a, a fundamental connection to the academic mission of the, of the university. Uh, these are all kids who are there primarily to get an education. Yes, they're, they're very committed to their sports, but they really are students. Most of them get far better grades than the average student at LSU does. Uh, and and to, to, to talk about the faculty's role in governing the tennis team is to talk about the faculty's role in governing the student newspaper or the theater department. I mean. Uh, th these, these kids are, are essentially no different than any other kids in, seriously involved in extracurricular activities. But when we talk about football and men's basketball, and even nowadays more and more women's basketball, baseball, and at some schools hockey, uh, you're talking about an entirely different environment where coaches are fired at the drop of a hat because they don't win ball games, and they're judged entirely. I, I was listening the, this morning to the, to the suggestion that, that 
coaches should be professors. Well, first of all, I don't know many coaches I'd want to be professors. <laughs> but, 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 but secondly, uh, that's just not their job. Isn't, their job isn't to educate. When you're talking about football and basketball programs, their job is, is to win games, to run high-profile programs that aren't going to embarrass the university. They're not educators. They're, they're coaches. And, and they're, you, you just can't, you, I don't think you can generalize uh, and say that the faculty at LSU should be doing the same kinds of things that the faculty at, at Bradley or the faculty at Kanisha should be doing. They're, they're, just, they're just so different. And to say that they should be, the faculty should be involved in football in the same way it should be involved in tennis just doesn't make any sense. Um, so I guess the, 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 the one point I would make um, and, and, you know, I could get down at, at a 500-foot at a level and make a thousand suggestions as to what faculty can and can't do and, 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 you know, best practices and what have you. But the bottom line is, is that I think every institution has to sort of find its own way uh, in, this, in this milieu because uh, the, the, the faculty just aren't the same and the institutions aren't the same. Gary, thanks very much. I, I think your point about... Uh, being very difficult to generalize is, is right on, but I hope that we will be able to tease out some patterns or some themes, and I can assure you that the Knight Commission wants to try to do some follow-up around those patterns or themes that emerge. So thanks for raising that point. And uh, Virginia, uh, we're still playing baseball in Cleveland, so uh, you get to be the uh, cleanup batter here this oh, morning. Okay. Great, well, I was the athlete, so she said one of us was the athlete, so maybe that fits. Um, and I, I coming off that statement, um, I have a little bit of an understanding of what it's like to be a, a college athlete and the time demands. I don't, I'm certainly not, was not in a revenue generating sport. Um, but I think that that's one of the major issues that I have in coming into the governance issue and getting involved in intercollegiate athletics. I think the time demands that we require of these students is so enormous now um, and has changed so much. I had a scholarship one of my daughters played scholarship uh, soccer, and it, it was tremendous. I mean, that's what she was doing on the campus, even, again, in a women's non-revenue sport. So I think time demands uh, student-athlete welfare has always been uh, at the heart of COYA's uh, agenda, making sure, again, as I said this morning earlier, that these students are getting the best possible educational experience while participating in the athletics. Um, at, also, I am a fan, so I think there is a place for athletics on our campuses, and I do believe that. Um, the one point that I want to make about governance that I feel very strongly about is that we essentially have, and somebody can correct me, but I think we have three faculty uh, governance bodies on each of our campuses, and I think this is fairly standard. Um, there's a faculty senate on, all, on almost all of the Division I-A campuses. There's a campus athletic board on almost all campuses, and there's an FAR on every campus. Now, if we don't establish really good communication lines among those three entities, we are not going to affect change. And I think those are the communication <coughs> networks that we need to be working on right now. And we've, we've made in, uh, connections with FARA. We've talked with the Division I-A FAR group in particular. I know Joe is taking over from Percy. Uh, we hope those communications continue to grow. Um, and I think, again, we need to be on, on, local, on the local campus level, be tightening and strengthening 
those communications and discussions and roles in faculty governance on our campuses. You bring up a, a very interesting point because when we think of faculty governance, we often go straight to the faculty senate or university senate, whatever it might be called, and yet so much of very productive governance on university campuses happens at a much more local level, at the, at the departmental level, for example, or even the college level. And every institution should have an advisory board on intercollegiate athletics as part of the NCAA responsibilities and as part of the certification process. So we need to think, as you've noted, Virginia, about the linkages and the communications. There are lots of places that we could go to start this interactive conversation. I wonder if you might want to comment about the overall state of faculty governance and what that might provide as context for this question about engagement in intercollegiate athletics. Does anyone want to pick that one up? I'll start out. I've, I went to where one of the first meetings I went to was a, an AAUP meeting in Chicago that some of you may have been at. And I remember the president of Central Arkansas University talked about shared governance and gave a very, he and his Senate chair got up and did a twosome and talked about the definition and the role of shared governance on their, on their campus. And it, was, it seemed to be really working, and I've talked to him since. Um, they proposed a model that I think we should all aspire to, and that is complete communication between the president, the president turning to the faculty senate chair, to the FAR, to the campus athletic board on issues of intercollegiate athletics. And I'd love to see shared governance as a phrase in all of our vocabularies. I think it's essential. It's very interesting because when you look at the history of faculty governance, the reason that we share between administration and faculty is because the faculty have the expertise. If, if you look at the fundamental principles of governance, it's around control of the curriculum and control of standards for membership in the faculty with the idea that the people in the disciplines have the very best sense of what makes the best curriculum, what makes the best faculty. That's why the local component of governance has over time remained very strong even though more generalized forms uh, may have been more threatened. I thought one of the most interesting uh, summaries this morning, uh, and not a surprise, was that uh, faculty uh, satisfaction with our role in governance in intercollegiate athletics tracks faculty satisfaction on the campus with our role in governance generally. And if the latter is in a healthy situation, then the former also seems to be in a healthy situation. That seems to me to be pretty intuitive. But it also suggests that trying to, trying to improve governance in, in, in one of the offshoots, if the governance in the overall is not in a healthy state, maybe trying to get the tail before the dog. I would just add, too, that the, there's always a difference, I think, between what's on paper at a given institution in terms of shared governance and how that plays out in actuality. And I think you might see a lot of institutions with shared governance, very clear system that looks like it really is working and that the faculty has a strong voice, but in practice it doesn't play out as well. So I would just warn us to kind of always be aware of the difference between what is on paper and then what to do with the culture of the institution determines the level at which faculty feel heard. 
um, or feel as if they take part in some of those conversations. We're going to turn to the audience now, and I see hand, oh my goodness, hands going up. I don't know how to referee this. Uh, maybe we could begin right here, and then we'll just kind of try to work our way through. Thank you. I'm Henry Beaner. I'm the president of Northwestern, and I'm a commissioner with the Knight uh, Commission here. I wanted to um, pick up from something Carol said at the end with regard to expertise in faculty governance. I think at, at least most complex research universities, faculty governance has simply gone way down. And that's because of the complexity and specialization that is entailed at these kinds of institutions. You have a great uh, degree of bureaucratization. You have compliance officers. You have your lawyers involved in almost everything, including athletics. So that you have a, a, a different nature of governance given the functions of knowledge and specialization. And that's also plays into athletics, has been mentioned. Someone said earlier this morning, the arcana of uh, NCA rules and regulations has also driven this kind of specialization. So athletics has become uh, something unto itself off the campus as well as on the campus, but it's, it's been reflected on the campus in terms of a kind of feeling of faculty that they don't understand these issues as well. I want to also take up on the point that Professor Roberts made about the different institutions, because I think it's a very important point in scale, in complexity again, uh, and it's led to um, a hard point to generalize, but I think one can still make some generalizations, and I'm sure you do too. One has to do with the role of the faculty on standards, which should apply across all institutions, no matter what their scale, no matter what their complexity. The faculty do have a responsibility for maintaining, I think, or caring about graduation rates, the intake of students, who comes into an institution, uh, how they come out, what the graduation rates are, and what the nature of experience is at them. The other thing that I would mention, and here I disagree with Professor Roberts a little bit, because he gave tennis and golf as examples of sports where graduation rates pretty much tend to be high and students tend to be good. Uh, in part because it also correlates with class a lot, uh, who comes into those sports. But those are two sports that take up a lot of time. You travel a lot for them, and I think that point raises another area to me of faculty involvement. It's the time pressures on athletes, and I think, again, the faculty should have a role in thinking about how often your team will be away from campus, how often classes get mixed, what's the nature of makeup schedules, and I just picked those too, because you pick them. I could pick women's softball as another one. And or, or the debate team. Yeah, and there are lots of things which, and somebody made this point, uh, maybe it's Professor Reinhardt, I forget who, or Professor Patuto. There are so many analogs you did with regard to theater about if you have an institution that has theater, has performance music, you get lots of analogs for students whose focus is not getting an A in English or history or mathematics, but to do something else on campus, and again, it depends um, on the scale of nature of the universities. The final point I want to make, and it comes to the variety of institutions again. <coughs> Some institutions are just highly centralized institutions with regard to faculty governance. I was at Princeton before I came to Northwestern. It was a centralized place. Northwestern has six undergraduate schools, every professional school except dentistry you can think of, and the nature of governance is very different than in a more homogeneous liberal arts college 
which turned into a university like a Princeton or a Brown or a Dartmouth. So again, you're going to get very different patterns of faculty governance. And I think you, it, it spills over into athletics to some extent as well. Anyone on the panel want to respond? Yeah, do I have about three hours? <laughs> uh, the, I guess my point with, with the tennis and golf and, and my little retort about the debate team was to simply say that tennis and golf are no different than all kinds of things on campus. And, and for the faculty to get involved in governance uh, is really not necessary any more than it is for them to be involved with the debate team or, or the theater uh, program or the performing arts or artists or whatever. Uh, it's, it's the problem, quote, problem, is, is, in, is in football and basketball for the most part, a little bit in baseball and, and a couple of other sports at certain institutions. And, and then that raises the question, well, what is the problem? Somebody asked that this morning. That was a good question. What is the problem we're talking about? And what is faculty governance mean with respect to that problem? And I think the point you made is a good one. To, to call it faculty governance, the faculty really doesn't govern much of anything. They govern the academics. Uh, they govern graduation requirements. In some places they govern the admissions, some places they don't. Uh, but faculty really function in some ways more of a, as advisors. And at the end of the day, the athletic program, they're going to schedule their football games when the administration says they're going to schedule them. And the faculty can, can bitch and moan about, you know, Thursday night football games all they want. But when there's millions of dollars on the table, the faculty's not going to have anything to say about that. I don't care what you want them. Uh, to say. So if you're talking about academic governance, yeah, the faculty needs and should be involved in that. The point about standards, every school should have standards and the faculty should enforce them, but the, Stanford's at an open, the standards at an open enrollment state institution with 40,000 kids are going to be completely different than the standards at Northwestern, and yet you're supposed to compete on the football field with some degree of, of, of parity with them. So how do you blend those, those kinds of, of disconnects? It, it's, it's, a, it's a naughty issue, and I think at the end of the day, you're going to have to make some compromises on your academic standards in order to put a football team out there that doesn't, uh, isn't more embarrassing than it is sometimes already. I mean, it's, it's a real problem for, for a Vanderbilt or a Northwestern or a Stanford uh, to try and stay and play in those conferences that they play in. So, I mean, it, there's, this picture is so big to try and get your hands around it in a five-minute talk. Is there are three hard. gentlemen right through the middle there that have hands up. That, you, you pick. I'm not going to referee. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Um, I, I guess my question for the panel, Gary, I just wanted to say, a, a former coach and now a professor, my students might agree with you <laughs> on what you said. Uh, Gary, I thought you made a, a wonderful point on that we're trying to generalize with so many institutions, but yet I see, uh, and certainly in my research I've seen this, is we're seeing comments by people like Steve Spurrier, uh, Tommy Bowden at Clemson saying, let's adopt the Mississippi rule. You may not be aware of, but there was a lawsuit called the Ayers lawsuit in Mississippi that basically granted open admission to the three uh, schools in Mississippi. Uh, and essentially, the rule that was adopted, for lack of a better term, was anybody that meets NCAA initial eligibility standards. Anyone is admitted to one of the three one of the three Division One A schools in Mississippi: Southern, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. So a lot of coaches have come out now, very powerful coaches, saying we need to adopt that rule. So I see the danger of Gary is that every institution, I believe, like you, needs to find their own way. But yet we're moving towards a a generalization homogenous model, and I'm wondering 
there's going to be a tipping point somewhere. Will we get to the point of where a Vanderbilt or a Northwestern does more than compromise? They now meet that same model. Uh, or are we going to actually get to a point of where every institution has to just make a decision? And institutions kind of fall into different divisions that are similar to each other. Uh, I'm, I know it's kind of a broad question, but I'd like your comments on it. I feel like I've commented enough. But, uh, Does anyone else on the panel want to, uh, want to respond? Well, I think in reference to the generalization, um, certainly that's one thing that COYA has been about, is finding, uh, well, putting out recommendations that, that in fact are, we're trying to fit to, uh, to a multitude of institutions. But we always couch that in terms of look at the documents, and many of these reform recommendations are general recommendations that are applicable to every institution. And if you're already doing this on your campus, that's great. And if you're not, maybe you should take a particular, you know, closer look at that recommendation and see if it fits your university. Not all of them do. And I think that every university is going to have to define who they are and what they can incorporate. The other thing I would say is that it's absolutely critical for us to define the roles that faculty can play. I mean, there are certain things we should never be involved in, but there are things that we could and should be involved in, and not necessarily governing or absolutely making the rules, but being at the table. We will get to everyone. I'll, I'll try to manage the time so that everyone has a turn. Go ahead. Hi, I'm T.K. Daniel, and I'm at uh, Ohio State University, which is the largest university in the country, given the number of students. And I have uh, a sort of a broad question, which ends up, I think, in a narrow funnel. Um, I'm a faculty member first, uh, and uh, what hasn't been discussed in any of what I've heard thus far at this conference is there are three roles we play as faculty members. Uh, um, first, obviously involving, depending on your university, research. The second is teaching, and the third is service. If you, if you think about what I've just done, is I've created a hierarchy. It may be different depending on the institution, but I don't think so. Um, and um, we're probably least rewarded for the service function. It seems to me, in terms of what we've been talking about thus far, this is where athletics would fall. Uh, let me also identify myself uh, as a senator, uh, having served last year as chair of our faculty council within the Senate, and currently I'm chair of the athletic council within the institution. Uh, and, it's a, and I've been on the athletic council for the past uh, three years. I'm very interested in the answer to the question that Professor Reinhardt has continuously raised, and that is, um, how, do we, how do we turn policy into actuality? That, that, that's a very, at our institution, um, uh, the athletic enterprise is, is subsumed within um, our university bylaws. Uh, I'm, and, and within the role as chair, I'm very busy. I'm involved in every part of the ath athletics enterprise. And, and in general, it is academic progress and eligibility, equity and student welfare, <coughs> and finance and facilities in broad terms. And if you think about that, it's a lot of activity to uh, engage in. 
my impression is we do have a tremendous impact on athletics at our campus. But, it, but, it, but by virtue of the question that was raised, it sounds like it's not enough. And I'd like to know what is enough. Susanna, you started this. Uh, <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to tackle this one? Well, I, I think uh, the framing of your question and your comment is, is really good. And I think uh, I was struck by what you started with, that, that a fac faculty's attention and energy devoted towards our student athletes or intercollegiate athletics would be considered service. There's no question, I think, for any of us that service is at the bottom of the pile uh, in terms of what is rewarded or paid attention to. I'm struck, though, by thinking that perhaps part of the problem is that we think of it as service as opposed to part of our teaching mission. Um, that in fact, if we are about teaching the students who come to us, then, then this shift of thinking about this as opposed to something that's on the side, these, these men and women are our students. And I'm thinking back to this morning, um, the comments that if some people just shouldn't be here, you know, some people get admitted to institutions and sometimes that happens with scholarship athletes who just shouldn't be here. Thinking a lot about that, I asked uh, the director of our um, advising services uh, a week or so ago, I said, do you think that it happens that athletes get brought here who shouldn't be brought here and are set up for failure? And he stopped for a moment and he said, yes, I think that does happen. I think that's no mystery to any of us that that sometimes happens. But my question is this, what are we bringing them to the campus for? And if what we, if what we as faculty allow to happen is that we know, for example, that somebody's primarily brought to the school to play basketball, to play football or whatever, and then they fail a class or they don't make it, we just let them go. And I, I refuse to see that happen. I think we institutionally made a commitment to them, and I think this determination, if I have five or six football players, as I currently do, in my class, and they, I mean, somebody said recently that athletes are among the only scholarship recipients at a university who part of the terms of their scholarship is that they must miss class striking thought. Part of the terms of their scholarship is that they are required to miss classes. So if they miss my class, a couple of my classes because they have to be gone, and that means that they don't do well on an exam, whose responsibility is that? One of the things that happens is the midterms come out or whatever and they just get pulled from that class, right? Ooh, you better drop that. That's not going for well. I refuse to see that happen. I don't think that needs to happen. I don't think their low grade necessarily has anything to do whether they, I'm not teaching rocket science. I'm teaching something that I know they have the skills and the capacity to do, but they are disadvantaged by the time commitments, as you say. So the question is, then what happens? Mostly I think what's happening is that they're, they're getting managed out of that situation. So the athletic advisor, somebody goes, oh, well, you know, try again and we'll get you some tutoring or whatever. Faculty rarely get involved. Those are our students. I saw it in that moment as my, I'll meet with a student, any student in my class who's not doing well and see if I can help them to do better, right? Why wouldn't that be extended to the other, to, to the student athletes? So I, I'm, I'm wrestling with this question of action and putting our, and I, yes, it's service to be on these committees, to be on faculty senate, but it is, to me, service, te how different are teaching and service? Teaching is service, and who are we serving? Um, so I think, fa I think faculty are bound to get involved with this, not because of anything other than these are extremely vulnerable young men and women 
who are brought in have enormous demands played on them, and our, the part of that puzzle that is ours is their education for life. And I think they they're, have incredible capacities. There's no way they could do half of what they do on the field and the court if they didn't have a mind <laughs> that can be applied to fairly complex situations. So how can we help these athletes along with their coaches and their advisors to say, you know what, the skills that you're bringing to bear on the football field overlap with the skills I'm asking you to bring to bear in my classroom. But nobody helps them to make that leap. I read in the newspaper that our new quarterback is studying the three and a half inch playbook. Studying a three and a half inch playbook. There's a whole lot of skills. Then why is that not, why does he, is he not helped to see that he can bring to bear, and I don't mean just on his own work, bring to the classroom. He can bring to the classroom and to his fellow students. All of these athletes are getting, and it's been mentioned, sort of flirted with this morning, but the kinds of education that are happening to them in those practices, they could actually add to campus life with those if given the opportunity. They could add to classroom conversation. They could bring experiences that they're having as student athletes that would actually help their fellow students to understand things more broadly than they do. But Susanna, I, just let me, what you're talking about is, is the traditional educational role of faculty, and that is dealing with the kids who are in your classroom. That's not service, that's teaching. We're talking about governance here, we're talking about committees deciding who, what teams play on Thursday night, but they, and they how many games you spend. I understand that, but they're the same issues. If those same faculty have that level of engagement in the classroom, why can't that be brought to all those committee meetings and get brought up there. I would beg to differ with Ms. Look, be sure you have the mic or you won't, you won't come through on the podcast. I would, I would, in terms of what was being said today and in terms of what I've heard from this committee, uh, I would beg to differ and say that in many ways it is not the same issue. And let me tell you why. Um, of the three areas that I talked about, only one of them really dealt directly with students, and that was um, academic equity and, and, uh, and, and welfare, or student, uh, student equity and welfare. When we start talking about finance and facilities, when we talk about these other issues, that's not true. We're, what we're talking about is getting involved with the administrative enterprise. Let's be fair about that. And that's, that's, what, we, that's what we're talking about when we're addressing the issue of governance. That's time, that's service, okay? I, my, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, if, if, if I may, may be so bold, I need really to have that question answered. The question is, um, what is the applicability? And how does it take us in a different direction? How, and, and therefore, how can we better things for the athletes on the campus? Of course, that, that's the end result. But, but, but we still haven't answered that governance question, and that's, in my opinion, based on this conference, what's most important. And will you hand the mic to the gentleman in front of you because he's been waiting a long time. And I'll ask any of the panelists who want to respond to jump in here. I just want to clarify very briefly that to me, that level of engagement and reason to be involved in athletics, if brought into governance, and it, that is, that is the, the voice that we have that does, in fact, impact these other decisions about the enterprise. Think so one, I don't think they're separate. I think one of the things that's happening here is that there 
there are different buckets into which different kinds of governance questions can be placed. And they're fairly typical patterns ac across institutions. Uh, the most important, where the faculty have the, the most role, some would even say decision-making, is around academic standards, the nature of the curriculum, and the standards for membership in the faculty. Less so in bucket number two, which tends to be more an advisory role around budget issues, planning issues, and so forth. And then in bucket number three, nice to be consulted, but the input is not going to be critical to, to what happens. That's fairly typical across the landscape. And, and what Susanna's been passionately arguing for is that first bucket. The, the role in the academic part of the enterprise where there, I think she's saying, can and should be very, very strong faculty responsibility. Now, you can read that as governance or not, but I think that's where she's going with this argument. If I might just add something here. Uh, I, I don't know whether one would call it teaching or service, but I do know that unless the promotion and tenure decisions and salary decisions are based on that, whether we call it teaching or service within a particular college, that faculty are not going to direct attention there. And I don't think that when you talk about teaching being a broader role or we should be rewarding service and we're talking about something that is more and more attenuated with what the faculty member is responsible for in her own college or department, it's less and less likely that the rewards are going to be there and we all follow, I mean we're all rational human beings and we all put our efforts in the area closest to our expertise in the area where we're going to get rewarded. And that shows clearly in that ranked list that we saw in the, in the original study. You've been waiting a long time. It's your turn. Uh, I'm Joel Cohen. I'm a professor of math at the University of Maryland uh, and a uh, member of the steering committee of COYA. Um, we have uh, at, at Maryland what would probably uh, kind of what Ginny said was the ideal situation. We have, uh, we have a university senate, uh, mostly faculty, but it's also uh, staff and students and, um, uh, and administrators. Uh, and it, it, really, it really governs. The president does not make any major moves in anything. It governs, as you mentioned, totally in terms of academics. But uh, e even in terms of everything else, um, it, it really, uh, every, the Senate is part of every major decision made in the university. Um, the Senate appoints about half the members of the Athletic Council. Uh, the Athletic Council also, oh, I, I should also mention since it's a night commission meeting that one of the reasons that we have such uh, a, a strong faculty governance is uh, due to Britt Kerwin, who was uh, the president of, uh, of Maryland and was very interested in that, uh, in having faculty governance. So they appoint half, uh, roughly half, then there are several other faculty members who are also appointed, um, and it is chaired by the FAR. Um, and the athletic director and all the um, associate athletic directors, uh, everybody is a part of the, uh, is at every meeting. And so the athletic council also is all governing. It, 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 controls, um, it controls what happens down to the question of which seats are, are gonna be how much money how much do you have to donate in order to be moved up in seats? Everything comes before the Athletic Council. And yet, 
And yet, with this perfect system, uh, what really happens is the leadership of the Senate gets together with the president, the, the, the chair and the, the chair-elect and the past chair and a few other people get together. And a lot of the rest of the senators kind of go along with everything that comes out of committee. Uh, and the faculty that is not a member of the Senate has no idea what's happening in the Senate. Uh, now, when we get to athletics, they have the, the faculty that is not on the athletic council also has pretty, whether they're in the Senate or not in the Senate, is not following very much what's happening in, um, in, in, in sports. Uh, most of them don't care. Even if, they're, even if they're sports fans, they don't really care about the governance of the athletic council. Uh, one more point that I, which I want to sort of leave as a question. The faculty athletic uh, representative uh, tends, I, I mean, this is from my experience at, at Maryland, tends after a while to become part of the athletic uh, establishment. In fact, I'd have to say in the athletic council, which I just mentioned makes all decisions, I don't remember a time where what the chair, the FAR, uh, who, who consults, that is, the FAR and the athletic director, who have always been, remained very close, um, what they have decided is not what is then passed unanimously by the uh, by the athletic so, council. So the question is about. So the question is how do you how does one work with the FARs? In, how how do you what's a system in which an FAR does not get co-opted? Now I'm, I, it's not a question of length of service because this people like Percy Bates, who after two hundred years as FAR, are, are still active in, in seeing everything from all points of view. Okay, I want to so. break in here because I want to try to manage the time. Um, we have just a little more than 15 minutes. Can I see the hands of people who want to speak? Okay, there are three of you, so we will we'll try, to, uh, try to get to all of you, but we'll also respond to this question about the, the FAR and inside or outside the control of the uh, athletics department. I'd, I would say one thing, uh, and it's really based on where your comments started, and I've been, it's the old pogo line, we have met the enemy and we are us. If some faculty think there are issues that all faculty need to address, and most faculty don't think they want to spend the time addressing them, then I don't know how you get there with the rest of the faculty. I ju it just seems to me to be not a solvable. Maybe there are brighter people surely in this world and people with better feels for how to do things, but, but that's my feel about it. With regard to the, the FAR, uh, it's the appointment, it's the person who's in the position. And if you have somebody in the position uh, who has decided that he or she likes athletics so much that he or she loses sight of the oversight role and the responsibility of the faculty and the president, then the president should be removing that person. Because if somebody doesn't have an oversight role and something goes wrong, everybody is going down. There are a lot of presidents, at least in my view, that don't pay enough attention to it. Uh, and if the president doesn't pay enough attention to it, I don't think, ultimately, the rest of it is going to work for very long. Okay, thanks very much. Let's go. Here, 
General, I had I'm Amy Perko with the Knight Commission. I have one follow-up question just on this role of the faculty athletics representative that's been brought up and relates directly to the governance. And that is we wanted to talk about best practices. And I know at some institutions, and TK Daniel, I think yours is an example, where you chair the Athletic Advisory Council, and it's not chaired by the faculty athletics representative. And then at other institutions, in, in Maryland being an example, the faculty athletics representative chairs that group. So I was just wondering if anybody has, if your experiences are similar or different, if, if there are recommendations as it pertains to best practices of that leadership of, of the, that particular group. One of the COYA recommendations is that each campus should have a campus athletic board. And that's, it, it's not a piece of legislation yet, but um, I hope it will be, but I'm not sure. But um, within the, that board, we've recommended that the FAR not be the chair and that that person be an ex officio member as well as the um, AD. Um, and that the makeup of the committee be primarily faculty, selected by faculty. And um, I think that structure has some hope of, you know, addressing Joel's question um, and point. And in terms of the whole campus governance from that structure, um, you know, we've all struggled with that because once you get outside the Senate, there's little communication back to your home school and the general faculty really don't understand not even just athletic issues, but the main issues on campus. So we're struggling right now at Vanderbilt, but making a very concerted effort to increase, strengthen, expand those communications into the individual schools and begin to filter down the governance structure, again using governance loosely here, but the information structure so that the general faculty become more informed. It's a huge challenge. This gentleman right over here has been waiting. You still want to ask a question? <laughs> yeah, at Thomas Conway, North Carolina State University. Um, the thing I wanted to go back to a focus on is, is timing and perspective. You know, the purpose of this meeting, I think, is to hear the collective faculty voice around this issue. If we, if we get caught up and, and miss the, the issue of timing, the NCAA is struggling to try to redirect on some of these issues. The Knight Commission is involved in trying to get some redirection on these kinds of issues, and colleges and universities are struggling. If we get caught up in issues of campus-based faculty governance and forget that there needs to be a collective voice to, uh, relative to this, then we miss the opportunity to speak to it as faculty. That's an excellent point. Thank you. The other piece is, is that as we, we look at perspective, there are a couple of things that are, I think, general pieces that we need to, to focus on here. And I think, Suzanne, you've, you've, you've tried to point this out. There are two ways you can look at this. How do we defend ourselves? relative to how our athletics, athletics programs can embarrass us. The other piece is, as faculty, what tools do we bring to bear that the athletics enterprise and others need to know, if employed, the whole enterprise would get better. And th those are the kinds of pieces that I, I, I would like to hear others speak to. And we will be trying to take what we have heard while we have lunch together and form some conclusions, not, not at the level of, of specific advice about what to do, but conclusions regarding patterns and themes about what we've heard from the faculty perspective, which Joe and Susanna and Gary will all share 
at the afternoon session. And then you'll have a chance to interact again as we do that kind of reporting out. But we'll try to be very careful about what we've heard and try to organize the thoughts for our three panelists who go into that afternoon session that will be responsive to that question. Uh, one back there and then, and then this um, lady in the white in the middle, okay? Hi, I'm Doug Letterman from Inside Higher Ed. Um, I guess there's been a lot of interesting things said and there's obviously a faculty role in a lot of these areas, but I guess my sense from years of covering this is that the academic domain has to be this, the key. And I guess uh, Professor Reinhardt was talking about the theater students, and I guess the big difference to me between the theater students and um, not all the athletes, because I think a lot of the athletes, but is the, the extent to which they come in academically underprepared. And that is, I mean, when, when Gary was asking about what the problem is, it, it seems like the problem to the, that the faculty ought to be most worried about is academic compromise or the potential for it. And I guess to me that seems to me where the faculty role is most central. And I guess my, my sense, I guess my, my question is, um, as the NCA has altered its academic standards to both obviously ask people to aim higher, but also to raise the stakes on institutions to for their athletes to be showing academic success, it seems like it, it almost inevitably increases the pressure on institutions to um, ensure that the, what the athletes are getting their getting in the classroom is real. And I guess to me, my sense of it, and I'm curious for your response, is that on too many institutions, the faculty is not armed. And, and, and again, who, who on the faculty that is, it sort of will vary. But is the faculty armed with the information, the, the right information, to ensure that athletes are getting a real education? I, I guess I, I don't know that, that that's the case. But it seems to me that that is, if anything is going to, if the faculty is going to have a real role in terms of defending the institution from the potential for problems. It seems to me that that's where it is. You I'm raise curious. a very interesting question. I, I think it is curious that we're this far into the day and the new uh, academic standards from the NCAA have not yet entered the conversation because theoretically they, they create more pressure but they also create more opportunity for faculty and coaches to be working together because the stakes are, are very high if the students do not succeed. Henry wants to respond, and Joe, and then. I just wanted and to. And then uh, this, this yeah. woman does get the last word here, back uh, in the middle. <laughs> Henry Bean in Northwestern. Um, one, one area we've touched on, but we haven't said much about, which is presidential oversight. And in terms of uh, both how uh, faculty will be involved uh, and how your athletic um, programs act with regard to standards and lots of other things, um, the, the issue of presidential oversight is key. The other point that I want to make is something we haven't talked about at all. It's not faculty governance, but it's board governance. In terms of defining what kind of an institution you want to be when you grow up, the kind of board you have is going to, particularly for private universities, but I presume for public ones as well, um, it's critical. And in terms of the governance of an institution, the ultimate responsibility is with a board of trustees. And that board hires or fires presidents, and through that um, can affect the evolution of an institution on athletics and everything else that it puts its mind to. So I suggest that one time when we come back again for the Knight Commission, we worry about board governance, because it's a crit critical component of the piece. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I'm going to try to respond to that a little. Uh, uh, 
first, and I'm going to come at it a little circuitously, one thing that we as faculty obviously know how to do is research. And there are a lot of claims made in athletics. For example, student athletes in season do well, do better academically than out of season because they're focused and the stakes are high. I don't know if that's true or not. That would be useful information to have when, when thinking about play practice schedules and miss class time and all of the rest of it. There are lots of questions like that out there where I think faculty research could either debunk some of the, the conventional wisdom or maybe show that some of them act, some of it actually has some merit. To get more centrally to your, centrally to your point, uh, I do think the academic reforms are having a difference. They were intended, I think, to do th two things. One, to uh, assure that more attention was paid to the academic success of student athletes when they were enrolled, and two, to make some judgments about the, the likelihood that someone could uh, achieve success academically and therefore not admit some students that otherwise would be admitted. I think the, and I don't know enough athletics analogies to do it, but the world-class running back who's, 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 who's at risk academically, I think is always going to be admitted. Uh, but the other student athletes who are not as talented, who are at risk academically, may not be so easily admitted to institutions, so that's at the front end. Uh, the conversations on campuses, certainly on mine and on campuses that I know anything about, have changed dramatically because the coaches in the past, uh, you can talk to them about academics, you could tell them you can't, we're not going to admit this student athlete, you could do all that. Uh, but they, it was like a you, they. They are now much more interested in how it is they can contribute to the academic success because they're much more concerned about the impact on them and their teams now. And that component was not part of the, the discussion until CAP and the APR. Can, can I just pop in? I, I want to, I'm going to let the cynic in me come out because I think Henry's absolutely right. These issues at the campus level are going to be driven by the boards and by the presidents. They're not going to be driven by the faculty. We can talk about faculty governance till the cows come home, but any faculty in America that's going to get up and do something that's going to cause Ohio State's football program to decline in competitiveness is going to get laughed out of the room in a second. It's got to come from the president and the board. And we can talk about faculty governance, but at, all we can do as faculty is nibble at the edges. We cannot fundamentally affect uh, a system where it is driven by competitiveness between institutions. If you're going to affect change, it has to be done at the national level so that every institution is forced to do the same thing and maintain a competitive equity that, that's perceived. No single school is going to unilaterally disarm in this ballgame. So. I just have to add one. You can't do it until you get the mic. <laughs> there are rules. I just, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I just there are school, there are, you've talked about open enrollment schools, and there are also se selective uh, schools. And there are many occasions where that star running back does not get admitted to that school. And there may be consternation with the coach and whatever, but in that case, the academics prevail. There are also other schools with more open enrollment that there are minimal standards that, that are met. 
But you are correct. It's, it's got to be an attitude, not just at the board and not just at the president, but the faculty too. The faculty does have influence because the faculty wants to maintain standards at an institution. And if that, if that um, is pervasive at the institution, that that's important, it will resonate with the president. It will resonate with the trustees. And that really emanates from how the faculty cares. OK, that's we're going to go way to the back there for this one last. And I think there'll be some terrific corridor conversation mm -hmm. as a result of this panel. Well, I had uh, two comments I wanted to address. One, uh, Sandra Slabig, I'm from Newman College. I'm a faculty athletic rep. Um, first of all, the, the, uh, both with uh, uh, the information on uh, faculty and the amount of time that they have to devote to other things. We saw the long list up on the board. And uh, there's only so many faculty to go around. And, they, and faculty are people, too. They each had their own interests. And not all of them have interests in uh, athletics. So I think whether they're uh, a passionate as uh, uh, they might be at Virginia Tech, and I, and I think they are a lot of institutions, they also have time commitments for other things that they have to serve on. So uh, I've served as a, as a president of uh, faculty senate and also as an athletic director, but at smaller institutions. So I've seen both sides. And, and at some institutions, faculty are very involved. And at smaller institutions, which comes to my second comment uh, with Professor Roberts, I agree with his uh, generalizations. Uh, and my concern today is that when the public gets the information from these sessions today and from this survey, um, they portray a very small percentage of our intercollegiate athletics, and that is the very large Division I-A institutions. Um, and I, it would be unfortunate, uh, and I'm concerned that the public is going to get the, the message that this is the way it is at all institutions that have intercollegiate athletics. And I, I really don't know if we know that the perceptions and attitudes of faculty towards athletics is the same at institutions that have two, three, four thousand students and are still fielding 20 teams and every faculty member might have two or three students in every class that are also athletes. That's a very interesting point. Thank you very much for raising it. Any of the panelists wish to comment? Well, we have, we have some responsibility, as you've just suggested, in the reporting out to try to try to make the point about the, the nature of the response to the survey and the, as someone said earlier, the lack of generalization about some of the issues that have been raised today so that the entire enterprise is not painted with, with one very broad brush. This has been a terrific session. Um, felt like I might have to referee a little bit there for a while, but that's what makes a good panel discussion. I, I think not just people talking at you, but real legitimate engagement. Thank you to the audience and a special thanks to our panel. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics. For more information on the Knight Commission, please visit www.knightcommission.org.